0: Welcome to Keeping Athena Company. My name is Athena Cabenu. I'm a stand-up comedian, writer and podcaster. Amongst other things, you know, we've got to do a bit of this, a bit of that and this day and age just to keep things afloat. Um, And I started this podcast because I've got a little kid who's not so little anymore. And even though she can speak, her words still consist of things like biscuit bubbles and things that don't really allow me to assess the democratic landscape of the planet that we're living in in 2020 anyway um so to help me have some adult conversations throughout the day I started a podcast in which I invite my friends round for plantain and conversation it's changed a bit this year because of lockdown and corona and the pandemic I've had to do everything online but this episode is fantastic and very special to me because in between the two lockdowns I managed to get out to see a friend of mine to chat about his new project his name is Paul eccentric his amazing wife slash manager um my f- wifeager I don't know what your job title is Donna but you do an amazing job of it Uh, she suggested that I come round to their haunted Victorian house in the countryside to talk about Paul's new project it's a book in the genre of steampunk which I know nothing about so what more (laughs) what more do I need to keep me satisfied Um, herbal tea conversation with a good amazing creative whose work I love about their new project and I got to know a lot so enjoy the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it So you've written a book, Yes. it's set in Victorian times, it is. but it doesn't feature street urchins and chimney sweeps. Uh, what is it about?
1: This is about one man's trip to the moon. Loads of people have done that stuff. This is nothing new, a book that takes somebody from Victorian era up to the moon. What's different in this is, did he get there or not? It's the whole conspiracy theory thing. You've heard of the, the, the conspiracy of whether America went to the moon in 1969, you know? And the thing with that, was why would they bother? Why would they bother going to the moon? You had the Russians and you had the Americans fighting this, this great space race to put a man on the moon. And really at that time, the only person who would have known if one of their rockets had got to the moon was the person who was in the rocket. Nobody else on the planet would really know for certain. So all you had to do was not be the first person to put a man on the moon, but the first person to say you'd put someone on the moon. Because okay. as soon as you've said that and everybody's believed you, everybody else is going to think, well, why would we now bother to spend all that money to put the second person up there? Because they're only ever going to be the second person, even if they are actually really the first. And that was the idea I came, I came at with this. You've got the books that say man went to the moon in this, this uh, wonderful rocket. He probably didn't. And uh, we assume that he didn't. So in this, it's all about the conspiracy theory, the right. whole conspiracy theory. Did he get there? Did he not get there? And what happens to him afterwards?
0: The whole book sounds quite satirical.
1: It is satirical. It's, um, I've read quite a bit of, of steampunk kind of stuff. Um, steampunk being uh, stuff that's set in the past, but is still science fiction based uh, with, with things that you wouldn't expect to be there. You know, inventions that we would probably say hadn't been invented then. Um, And it's the mixture of those two things, of historical fact and historical figures even, with uh, fictional characters and uh, futuristic things that shouldn't be there. I I just like that idea of things like that. Uh, Let's talk
0: about when it's it's set, because you've been very specific in the years, I believe 1895? 1895. Specifically,
1: it starts in 1895. It moves about a bit, uh, but it does start in 1895. And the reason for that is the house that we're sitting in, my house, was built in 1895
0: really this I mean, is done yeah. a good job keeping it up you thank you it. it's it. still there it's it's
1: falling in a few places <laughs> I but it's see
0: light switches it's still, it's still going yeah
1: yeah and, and that was it i i was just interested i'm going to be sitting in my house writing about something um that i'm setting in the past where do i set it i set it in the same year that the house came from and then it feels right yes um, as i move around the house it feels like a victorian house and i was able to get into character by using the character of the house. Okay,
0: let's talk about your main characters. So I believe there's a lead. This is the person who may or may not have gone
1: There are the... three leads, okay. yes. There is there's one lead which is a, a fellow called Gordon, okay. Gordon Periwinkle. Um, the, the book, The Giant Step, is the first of a series of books. Uh, the overarching title is The Periwinkle Perspective because everything is focused around this, this character of Gordon Periwinkle. Okay. He is this um, Victorian adventurer who uh, goes off and discovers things that have been discovered before and uh he's he's a bit of a bumbler he's not that good at stuff and when they're looking for somebody to send to the moon they decide let's send him because he's expendable doesn't matter if he gets killed on the way and stuff he's he's really not that good but they send him up there and by sending him to the moon he then becomes the most famous person on the planet who's never been on a stamp or a coin just by virtue of having done that, which makes him a, a, a bigger character. And he's not that big a character himself. So he's trying to live up to that character and failing just a little bit. He's a, he's a man with a lot of flaws. And then you have um, the other two lead characters in this first book. One uh, is Hamble Blaze, who's a professor. She's the, uh, uh, the, <clears throat> the inventor royal for Queen Victoria. And she invents all sorts of stuff that uh, we're told wasn't invented in those days things like rockets hmm. and stuff uh, and bionic arms and stuff that people need. Uh, so she's a, a big, very strong character. And then there is another character called Iggy Shikawana, who is a female assassin. So there are two very strong female Best characters. Kind of
0: assassin. If you want an assassin, oh, you God, she's
1: spirit, tough. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's a right <laughs> piece of work, but uh, she's also again, the very flawed character because she doesn't want to be an assassin and she wants to get out of the assassin game mm. and you can't get out of the assassin game. So she's got all that going on. And uh, her involvement is that she is, um, she is tasked with killing him off because he's better off dead. You know, he, he, he knows too much. So she has to go try and kill him and he's trying to deal with his problems and she's dealing with her problems and all the, the rest of the time. Uh, The professor is making things that help them.
0: You've already told me that you're inspired by the home that you live in. Yes. Um, What else inspired these characters and and the world you created?
1: It's the sort of thing I like reading. Um, I've I've written a lot in the past, but this is the first time I've written something like this. I've written music in the past and I wrote the sort of music that I like listening to. The same with poetry. I've written poetry that I like to hear. Uh, I'd never tried to write... A story in the kind of things that i liked to read right for some reason i thought uh the sort of people who wrote the kind of stuff i liked to read were, were some kind of superheroes <laughs> and uh, and there was something extra going on that i could never do and then i thought you've got to try these things and uh and so i started to write um write this story um i used to run short story nights in cafes and pubs where i'd invite people in to to read their short stories. Uh, And I would always have to have two new stories every month that we did this as well. And sometimes more if somebody didn't turn up. And so I got myself into a habit of writing short stories on a two or three a month basis. And then that all finished. Um, It it finished because various venues that we used to do this uh, either closed or, uh, or changed their ideas. And I found myself without a venue but still with this mindset of must write, must write these short stories. And I decided to write a, a, a short story that was in the in the vein I, I liked reading in. Absolutely loved it and didn't have anywhere to perform it because the gigs had gone. And I thought, I haven't got to write another one next month. I could just keep going. So and this this right, actually oh, started... Like
0: Charles Dickens, yeah. one of his books were all made up of short stories, right?
1: Yeah, well, this started like that. The... the, the um, the prologue to the book was the uh, the original short story. And then I just went further on with it because that just left the whole thing on a cliffhanger. And I kept going and kept going until I told the story I wanted to, to tell. And, uh, and I thought, there's more, there's more, it's all in here, there's more. So if you're trying to um, publish a book, you finish your book first and then you take it out and try and show it to various publishers. If you're trying to write a series of books, you need to have at least two sitting there so that you can say, this is what I've got, but this is where it goes afterwards. Otherwise, why would they publish you in case you can't come up with another one? So I'd written two, and then we started trying to get it published. And uh, it takes a long time.
0: It Do does take, to take stuff a long around time, the publishers. yeah.
1: Um, anyway, eventually we get a, a bite from a publisher, but by this point, I've written the best part of book three. <laughs> So I know exactly where this is going. And I thought, right, three will be the end. You know, I'll wrap it up. And then my brain said, no, there's more, there's more. Make it bigger, bring more stuff in. So I've had a great time with this and built up this world uh, and all these characters. And as the story progresses, more characters come in. I Start small, start with a small band of people that then grows as you get further out um, so that I can um, build on these characters lives and their, their backgrounds. It's
0: it's a great book and the satirical element really um, intrigues me because we live in a world of fake news, Russian bots and Facebook and whatever, all these mad things. How much did the political climate we're in now inspire the events that take place in your novel?
1: It does quite a bit as it goes through. Um, There is is a Prime Minister that comes into it um, Uh, Towards the end of the second book Um, and No, he he doesn't look like that particular prime minister, but he acts very much like him Uh, And that there is a theme in that I wouldn't give away without somebody reading it But um, yes, it does inspire the the stuff around you inspires the people around you inspires Um, When you're saying about the satirical element of it uh, When I decided that the book was going to be based around this whole idea of um, uh, um, the conspiracy theory of did the Americans really go to the moon in 1969 or did they not? Did they just say they went? That whole thing, people will say, well, it's nonsense. We, you know, we wouldn't have this and we wouldn't have that if if they hadn't gone there. But in my mind, I've, that's always intrigued me. And I loved that little idea of what if they didn't? What if they just said they did? Who's gonna prove them wrong? You know, And, and I love that. Now, if you're gonna set a book around that and you're gonna set it in a historical, setting and bring in fantastical elements and um, hugely drawn characters it's not going to be a hundred percent serious is it? So there has to be um, a satirical element of it and I've been writing comedy for years doing the anti-poet stuff that to actually sit and write something serious goes against the grain.
0: Absolutely. Now I I have done stuff (laughs) but yeah
1: it's difficult to sit and be serious because you, you Part of your brain is trying to find the humor in the situation. And I didn't want this to be an out and out laugh a minute book. I don't want somebody to label this as a comedy book because it isn't a comedy book. Some of the situations are a little bit ridiculous and some of the, the characters and some of the things they say are a bit ridiculous. But it's feeding into a story that, that stands up and makes sense. Uh, that's that was where, what I was aiming at.
0: Um, you spoke a bit about writing a book that would be like the book kind of books you like to read. Yeah. Would you like to tell me a bit about novels that you like that maybe inspired this book or inspired your writing? Yeah. Well, one of my
1: favourite authors and has been for years is Christopher Fowler. Have you come across
0: Christopher? I haven't, Fowler? Please tell me about him.
1: Um, Christopher Fowler writes um, the majority of his books are written uh, about London, and London is one of the characters in the books. He knows everything about London, all the tunnels underneath London, all the secret societies and things. And the book is not about those things that he writes. The books are about characters and the situations. Um, but there's always an element of learning from his books, because as you read, you, you, you discover things about this great city that you didn't know. And I've loved that in his books. And it, it makes me then go and read up on something. It's just a slight mention he'll make of some secret society or, or or some secret passageway and then you go and you look and you find it's actually true right. and obviously he's added to it and he's made it bigger but i absolutely love that in his books and i've read all of his books because that really does it for me i also enjoy another writer colin Edmonds, who was published by the same publishing company um as my book is about to be published by caffeine nights and colin is a steampunk writer uh, now colin um he originally he was a comedy writer that was that was his career he, he wrote for Bob Monkhouse and uh, Paul Daniels and people back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, and he's got a, a, a font of knowledge about um, how to put comedy together, how to make a situation amusing, but still serious. Uh, and he also knows all the um, magic tricks and things because he wrote for Paul Daniels. And uh, the characters in his books is a stage magician. And so you're learning things again, you're picking stuff up. Um, that you probably didn't know and and I love that in a novel where you're finding things out that are true and real that you may not have known and so you're reading something that is fiction but it's also working as a non-fiction. Yeah
0: and it brings adventure into your life.
1: Yeah and I love that. I um, love that in that sort of situation and so that's what that's what I've tried to do. I, I don't think I'm emulating anybody else that I've read. I just like to do that and the research is one of the most fun things about writing any anything at all whether you're writing comedy and you're trying to make something right as you go looking to check your facts you find something else you didn't know and then you realize you just spent an hour reading about mars or something (laughs) which is what i tend to do
0: okay so we we know when it's set yes where is your book set
1: it's it's set in london um the majority of the first book in the series is set in london but there are a few little forays out to cardiff and the moon Obviously it
0: might be the moon. It might be the moon. It might not.
1: No. Um, yeah. Uh, I know London because although I don't live in London, I've, I've always lived near London and London has always been a place I've gone in to work, to gig, um, performing. Uh, so I know it and I've always felt like a Londoner who lives in the country around London, if you know what I mean. So I've set it in places I know, uh, and I've then, gone and research those places so that I know them better.
0: I'd like to ask you about the conspiracy theory side of things. Now, I've read up on the moon landing and the conspiracy theory yeah. side of that, and I'm embarrassed to say it's quite convincing. You know, when you read it and you have it all in front of you, it doesn't feel like a stretch to say it was fake, even though I don't think it was. I don't, um, yeah. I don't think people who think it was are mad. I guess my question to you is basically, do you think they were faked? And also, are there any crazy conspiracy theories <laughs> that you do believe in? Well,
1: no, that is one I, I've, I've read a lot seen a lot of that and tried to keep the mind open um whenever you hear some conspiracy theory you, you look into it just to just have a look, see if you think it's real or not and sometimes i come out thinking yeah no right i think that is that is true and then sometimes i think it's not the moon landing specifically i've read a lot about that uh, and i just think at that time where you had the russians And you had the Americans and they were both locked in this space race to get the first person on the moon. Did they go or not? Because it would have cost an awful lot of money to get there. And whoever got there first is going to say they're there. Nobody else is going to go up to check because what's the point of paying all that money to be second? So whoever gets there first, has made, the, has made that giant so step. Saying, so I think don't think they
0: really went. My thing is no. that, think about America in, in that time and what they were doing. These, this is not like an innocent person. This isn't like accusing somebody who, who butter wouldn't melt in their mouths. You know, this is, a, this is a country where there were civil rights issues in that country. Oh, yeah. They were deposing people um, out of office in other countries because they didn't like their politics. They yep. were invading other countries. So, you know, add fake moon landing to the list. That's what i think the it's least, the sort of thing they do. You <laughs> it's know? like the least harmful thing they actually probably did. I However, yeah, yeah I'll pick 50 on it. But that's good to know because mm. that means in the book.
1: Ah uh, no, I have to, well, we don't know for certain do we? <laughs> We'd have to
0: read the book. You'd have so to read talk,
1: the book to know. Let's talk about it. So
0: is it out already?
1: It comes out on the twenty sixth of November. Okay. Should have been April this year, but of course a lot of things have happened this year. A lot of books got postponed. Uh, I was very disappointed because I was really eager for this to come out. uh, And I had lots of things to go and do, literary fairs and things to go and talk to people about it. And uh, it all got cancelled.
0: Okay, well, let's talk about it. What is happening, 26th of November, it will be released. It will be released. Bookstores and online, hopefully. Yes. Um, What are you going to do? How are we going to
1: celebrate? Well, in the past, when I've published books, we've always had a big do and invited people round and cake and stuff but we can't do that anymore. Right, it has to be virtual it? Kate. It's gonna all have to be virtual, so it's all going to have to be done online in this kind of way of me sitting here in front of a camera talking to people and trying to convince them to buy da
0: So your book is in the steampunk genre mm. uh, a genre that's actually unfamiliar to me so can you tell me and anyone who's watching who's unfamiliar with the genre um what it means to you
1: to me it's um it's it's taking a historical setting and adding things to it that weren't originally there and just um it's, it's a fantasy thing it's, it's it's about building your own world you, you see people at steampunk uh, conventions and things. Uh, in all the fantastic costumes. To some people, it's, just, it's it's all about the dressing up and it's about the building your own costumes. To some people, it's it's building um, fantastic machines that uh, look like they could have been um, built and used uh, in, in a historical setting, but quite obviously aren't. Some people, it's about the art uh, and creating fantastic pictures uh, and models and sculptures and uh, other people, it's about, Stories and for me, uh, I, I, I love seeing all that stuff going on um, but I'm all about the writing uh, and I perform I've been a performer all my life, but I perform Secondary, uh, it's it's the writing and so for me, it's, it's just putting all those elements together and, and and taking everything I want and sticking it in there whether whether other people would think it goes in there or not you know, um, you see people with these wonderful hats with all sorts of things stuck to them. Who's to say what's right or wrong and what can go on that and what can't? If you want to do that, then do it. Right. And and it's it's making it work for you.
0: So I think that's... It sounds to me like you've taken a genre that people love and you've taken your passion for writing and you've yeah. put them together and you've created this novel uh, which, you know, you don't have to be interested in...
1: No, you don't. Really. You really don't. And it might get you interested it's, in it. It's like any book, yeah. yeah. You, you might... I, well, i was talking about christopher fowler before now christopher fowler a lot of his books are detective books i've not read anybody else's detective books it's not the genre i like i wouldn't watch detective films it's not something that interests me but because of the way that person writes and that person's vision i'll read his stuff uh, and, and similarly with other books i will read not just because uh, uh, i love all that sort of thing it's it's how that person puts it together and the thing with this book, it, it's not just for steampunk uh, fans, it's for anybody who likes a story. You know, you may like it, you might not.
0: So your book's coming out, remind me, 26th of November.
1: 26th of November.
0: Um, are there other steampunk writers we can also get involved with? Yeah. You'd like to read?
1: Have a look at Colin Edmonds, who I mentioned before. Colin, um, he's written a series, Steam uh, Smoke and Mirrors, about a, a Victorian magician. I love that. I love that. that series. Uh, there's another fellow, Toby Frost, that I've re- uh, read, I think, five or six of his books, um, which is taking the whole thing in a slightly different vein as if um, the Victorian empire had carried, the British empire under Victoria had carried on way, way past where it did. Um, another take on it. Again, you know, who's to say which bit is right and which bit is wrong? Everybody adds their own bit. Those are two writers well worth having a look at.
0: So let's talk a bit about your previous writings, because this is your sixth book.
1: It is my sixth book, yeah, yeah.
0: This is your first venture or your first foray into the steampunk world. It is. What kind of sand pits were you playing in before steampunk?
1: My first published book was a book called Down Among the Ordinaries. Um, There's a poster for it up there on the wall. Um, That was, crikey, I think that was 2012 that was published. And it was a case of write what you know. And I knew... About music because I'd been in bands for years and, and in the music industry and so I wrote about a dried-up washed-up musician uh, who had been ripped off by his manager and by his uh, solicitor and everybody around him and it was a case of what happens when you've been very very famous and then suddenly you're not right. uh, how, how do you adapt how do you get back into the world and um, and and try to be an ordinary person where everywhere you go, everybody knows your face. You know, can you go and and do a car boot sale, and uh, nobody recognise you? That that's that was the idea of that. And and he's a, a bit of an anti-hero because he wasn't a very nice person. And as you go through the book, you you discover the reason that everybody hates him and everybody should hate him because he was a git. Um, so, and I enjoyed writing that.
0: Well, let's talk. Let's go back to talking about the giant step. You. I'm gonna say there's an element of a personal story in that novel. Is there anything personal in the Giant Step that is that comes directly totally from your life experience or your opinions or?
1: Uh, yeah. I think my opinions come through it all the way. I know if my father reads this, he'll just he'll. That's all he'll pick up. He'll pick up political <laughs> opinion and things, uh, and say you're shoehorning your own anarchism in, uh, anarchism in there. And yes, I probably am. You know, I. I think whatever you do you can you can build a character and you can try and keep that character distinct from the others but i think my overall view of the world does kind of shape this world and all the characters within it
0: and would you say that's something you generally do when you write your novels
1: i think it's what i do when i do anything to be fair um i'm an anarchist at heart um and i'm not not like people think of an anarchist out there and smashing things up and and destroying everything because that, I that isn't that's top, that's an anarchist to that break, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't me it wasn't me, but that's no I'm a, I understand I'm an anarchist at heart, I do believe in making it up as you go along you know and respecting other people yeah. and not doing things to other people that you wouldn't want done to yourself, that kind of anarchy you know okay. not not following a rule that doesn't make any sense just because somebody wants to say it to you and and appear big you know that kind of thing so that does inform everything i do if you if you listen to the poetry and uh, and the songs there is always this uh undercurrent there of sedition
0: (laughs) well talking of songs your book has something that most books don't have which is a theme tune. A theme
1: tune, yeah. Okay, let's talk
0: about why it's got a theme yeah, tune. because um, that's a great thing. Um, and how you how you came about with the up with the idea and you know, what what that conveys and how that complements the novel.
1: The well, if you were doing a film or a television programme or something, you would automatically <clears> it would have a theme tune. You wouldn't generally do that with a book, but these days with things being um, promoted uh, on social media and that kind of thing. Uh, why shouldn't you have a theme tune for a book? Uh, it, it's it's got to have that same pizzazz as the film has. And so when I came to be doing this book, I thought, you know, this it needs to have a theme tune.
0: How can people listen to this theme?
1: Tune? Is it going to be released on the same day? Uh, yeah. Well, it, that, no. Actually, that will be out before.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, we've used it once already. Uh, where are we now? We're we're recording this in September. The new video that's going to go with the same piece of music uh, is all pictures of characters from the book. Okay. Say pictures of characters so it's a whole me. experience isn't yes. it
0: well, if you read the book and, and you see the video and you hear the song you're getting a, the full 360 degree picture yeah, of, yeah. of what you're trying to, trying to convey that's it I think it's, what you should do is play the theme tune before you read the book yes. right? and then play it at the end when you finish a chapter
1: uh, exactly exactly
0: yeah. and get, that will get you more streamed as well <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, so.
1: yeah keep doing that <laughs> Um, It's it's, it's a mixture. There's two songs that are put together. One is a a very traditional Victorian um, pomp and ceremony thing. It's a Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. with with a marching band in the background. Um, And then it goes into a, a, a far more punkier rockier song about uh where the lyrics are about um whether the uh 1960s moon mission was actually true or not and then it goes back out into the bomb 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 bom. uh yeah it works it
0: sounds really really enjoyable.
1: Oh, I had a lot of fun doing that it, a lot I, of fun it sounds like it and
0: actually, when you're talking about music you've re- you become instantly animated just talking about music because it's a big part of your life
1: it has been for a lot of years yeah i don't i don't do that much singing anymore uh as i was saying to you before the the writing is it for me and if i've written something and i want to get out and sing it i'll go and do it because i want to put across what i'm doing in the same way as the book if we could have gone out i'd be out reading the book to people because i I like to perform stuff i've done um but it's not for me it's not performance for performance sake it's Performance for the art's sake so of getting it's, the, it's, it's the like stuff done
0: out. done it. You want people to hear it. Yeah, right? and
1: we all think that if we've written it, we can perform it better than anybody else can. Well, and I think you can to a degree.
0: <laughs> well, that's the case, and it belongs to you, so you should yeah. be the person to show it to the world. Let's yeah. talk about the anti-poet, which is yeah. half music, half poetry. It's I would beat say poetry. It's beat, beat poetry. There's poetry. a name for at yeah. it, Athena. Well, poetry. it is. You know,
1: beat poetry is one of those things. How do you define it? because you listen to something like a song like um peaches by the stranglers
0: okay
1: now if you listen to that everybody thinks it's a song it's a punk song from the 70s it's beat poetry everything about that song is beat poetry if you listen to anything that ian jury did it beat poetry they're not singing it they're talking around the beat and around the rhythm
0: and And that stuff yeah a lot of
1: that stuff you could but then what do you say um they've got it registered as a song with the performing rights society it's a song you know people people know it as a song it's got a, a a tune to it but i think that dividing line of what is a song and what is beat poetry and then what is beat poetry and what is poetry you know should we be defining those things and putting them into categories or should we just say it's art
0: or well, some listen some, to it enjoy somewhat it. related to the topics we've been discussing whitey's on the moon by right? Gil square Heron sounds like beat poetry now you mention it right? a lot of but, things yeah. will. if you
1: if you go back and listen to things that you've liked in the past and try and think now is that a song is it beat poetry I think probably be quite a lot of times you'd be thinking that's actually beat poetry. Uh,
0: and, and again I was going back to talking to you about The anti-poet because primarily that's where I've seen you perform your art the most. That's, because you used yeah. to perform as The anti-poet at yeah. the shows you used to kindly let me tell my terrible jokes at. Uh,
1: you were great <laughs> the reason that we booked you again and again and again is because people asked yeah, you to I'm come back because like they you thought you were it funny. It, yes, so like, <laughs> your stuff was always great that's why we liked you.
0: Well your stuff is always great and that's how I got into The anti-poet. Don't and you travel you. around festivals and you perform as again um, have you been managing to do anything during this period of lockdown?
1: We had one gig. We were right. asked to do one gig. And I, initially I said, no, because I thought, I don't really think we should be out at this time doing this stuff. And they said, oh, but it's all, it's all well distanced. Um, the audience are, are gonna be in little, little clusters around this cricket field. And yeah, they were, they were in little clusters of four or five people, but they were so far back from the stage. Um, and what we're doing is comedy beat poetry, as you know, and being that far back and being grouped together in little huddles the um the, the, they were distracted and the tendency to sit and talk amongst yourself if you were further forward and you could see the act and the act could intimidate you back
0: mm. then
1: that's different but they were that far away and there were stewards walking around with two meter long sticks <laughs> making sure that people didn't get too close and putting them between people
0: kind of kills the vibe doesn't killed it it's very anarchist is now, it no and we're uh, a
1: double act the anti poets double act and a lot of our show is me taking the rise out of him and the audience going on his side and you know, oh, poor little bass player, he's he's getting the mickey taken out of him all the time. And then as the show goes on, he turns around and gets one back over me and everybody thinks, "Way, that was spontaneous. No, it was rehearsed. But we couldn't really do that because he was way, (laughs) once in a while we rehearsed. (laughs) But he was way over the other side of the stage. I mean, how far did you have to be from me? And I was getting nothing back from the audience. Not to say they weren't going with it, because we had some nice comments afterwards, but they were so far away, I couldn't read them. Oh,
0: it's and, and the same, same stand comedy, comedy. You need
1: to read them. It's the
0: same, of, I mean, it's all comedy. It's exactly the same as stand-up comedy. Even before lockdown, if I did a comedy club at a gig where people were at tables, all sat apart from each other, I would just get, be That's, livid. It's hard, isn't I would it? be like, oh, this is not, I'm not going to enjoy this gig. And it is harder, and you have to work a bit harder, and you have to do other things yeah. to get their attention, and then you can do your material. And what you actually want is a proper canvas. You know proper audience all squashed together yeah. nice low scene, and, and all that and stuff we
1: can't like that. do
0: that we can't do that anymore but what we can do is access your art through your book which is out on the 26th yeah. of november do it that way, it's, it
1: that all way yes. it's all in there it's the same seditious anarchist um stuff in there <laughs> it's the same stuff that the anti-poet's doing but I mean, this is the characters what, what
0: connects your your writing in this novel to the other things that you perhaps have done through the anti-poet or through the, the animations that you've written for
1: what connects it yeah um, i think it's my voice yeah i think it's it's uh, as i was i was saying to you earlier um i've written other stuff as you have uh, I, I wrote some poetry for a, um, a romance novel a friend of mine um carol matthews who writes uh romance novels she'd written this book um and one of the characters in it was a 15 year old poet and she said i can't do poetry could you write the poetry for it and I, well I could, but it's got to come from that character. And normally I will write from my point of view. And suddenly I had to write from somebody else's point of view. And that was really difficult to do. I'm glad I did it because it stretched me. And I think we should always be trying to do things that stretch us because otherwise we do tend to think, right, we've got this book to write. We've got this play to write. We've got this song or this poem or this, this stand-up routine to write. And you go at it from the same angle. And I think sometimes it's nice to step out of that and do something in character. Um, there are comedians out there on the circuit who, who just play characters, and mm. all the comedy is, is around that character. And then you see them playing another character, and the comedy's completely different. I love that. That's really difficult to do, to have these two, yeah. two head spaces. And this material won't work with that character, but it will work with this one. And I find I'm doing that with everything I'm writing. I'm writing from my point of view. But the great thing with the novels is that I'm having to do it from the different perspectives of the different characters in there. And so I'm having to get into that headspace. I was writing a piece this week where I'm going from that character and that comes up to a cliffhanger and then it goes into that character's story and that comes up to a cliffhanger and then you go back to that character's bit and you're building that tension as you go. And I found I couldn't get out of that character to get into that one. Uh, I'm gonna have to jump a chunk here and write that, that whole sequence and then go back and slot things in. And do the same with the other character, because I I was too tied into that one. It's
0: like having multiple personalities, isn't
1: it? it, Yeah, it is. And sometimes that works. Sometimes I think, oh, I could really do with a break from that character, because they really are getting on my wick now. Um, I feel that I'm becoming that character on the inside, and and I'm speaking like that character. I need to get out of that one into that one. And sometimes you just need to think, well, I've got to keep going in that one, otherwise I'm going to lose their speech pattern or something.
0: So this is your first book in and around the steampunk genre. Yeah. What did you learn about steampunk writing for steampunk as opposed to consuming steampunk art?
1: I'd learned fairly early on to be bigger than I thought I'd need to be. Uh, that, that seems to be the thing with steampunk. It, it, it's, it's all about... Blah, blah. It, nothing, nothing. too small. Go
0: to the moon. That go can Yeah, go exactly. Let's let's do it big. Yeah.
1: And uh, and I I did go back um, after I got about two thirds of the way through the giant step and think no, you know these could be even bigger. They could be even more exciting. And I went back and put more bits in. Um, and as I've gone through the series from there, I'm, I've always got that in the back of my head. Could that be bigger? Could that be um, more exciting and more surprising? Um, Quite small. I think that's what it was. And I should have, I should have known that from reading other people's stuff. But uh, you don't always take apart what you're doing when you're enjoying reading something. You don't always look at it and think, right, now how could that be done? How did they do that? You do that the second or third read through the first time you're reading it for enjoyment, aren't you? And it's then when you start to take it apart and when you start to actually do it yourself that you think, yeah, this, this is, this just needs to be more. Elements from here, elements from there can all come in. It's all a big mixing pot in the same way that punk was in the 1970s. There's a very much a do-it-yourself feel to it and anything goes. Is the punk rebellious? It. I think it's very rebellious, yeah. It's not about going and buying a, a, a flash hat in a shop. It's about buying something and making it your own. So, it, yeah, it's rebellious in that that sort of way. Anarchic, I think. I think that's the underlying feel. It's what I get from it anyway. What other people get is up to them, but I get that feeling of anarchy in it, and that excites me.
0: It sounds like something that's right off your street. Yeah. Yeah. So finally, to end, tell us. Title of the book, which I've said many times, but I'll let you say it. When it's coming out, how we can buy it, and how we can listen to the theme tune.
1: It's called The Giant Step. It's volume one of The Periwinkle Perspective by Caffeine Nights. Your best bet is to go to the Caffeine Nights website and uh, look it up, and you can pre-order, as I think of next week. And it comes out on the 26th of November in paperback. There is an ebook before that, and there will be an audio book version after that. Uh, go there, or you could look up The Antipoet. Antipoet.co.uk, you can look it up there, and you can buy it through us. And if you buy it that way, you get it signed. Maybe you like it or not.
0: And the theme song?
1: The theme song. Uh, the theme song is going out on um, Facebook as of this week.
0: Excellent. So we, all um, we've got to do is find your Facebook. copy the
1: I... anti-poet. They know what they're doing. I don't. I don't touch the the, the the whole book was written on this. This is the most technical I get. Is it powered by steam? It is powered by steam. <laughs> sometimes it comes on when you press that button. Sometimes it doesn't.
0: That sounds as rebellious. That as is you rebellious, can get. In isn't 2020, it? Twenty yes. twenty, still writing books on a Nokia. Oh, um, Nokia six 65... That's special. I think so. Paul, thank you so much for having me thank in your you, home. And in peppermint tea. Thank it's you, Athena. It's been for a pleasure. I can, I can tell you it's Victorian, it's not haunted. So it I'm is haunted. Not, is it haunted it as well? It is haunted, yes. Right, we'll, have talk, we'll have to talk about that in the next yes. interview. Thank you, Paul. Um, everyone, buy the book. See, I did something to camera. That, that was for Ian. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you for doing it. That was the fabulous Paul Eccentric. He had me in his eccentric Victorian house. I didn't see any ghosts, but I'm, yeah, I'm confident it was haunted. It had a haunted kind of spirit about it, but a good haunting, like a Casper kind of haunting. You know, anyway, it was great for them to have me over. Really enjoyed my afternoon there. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I certainly did. His book, if you would like to purchase it, it's called The Giant Step. It's on Caffeine Nights Publishing and the link to buy it will be in the description of this podcast. You can also find Paul Eccentric on facebook and online i'll put all of his links in the description of this podcast as well and to be honest paul eccentric is a pretty easy person to find once you google him you'll be like oh yeah yeah that's the guy I'm looking for. I've been a Athena venue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, do what you do with podcasts that you like, comment, share, tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone about it. If you're on the bus, listen to it, tap someone on the shoulder. Actually, don't do that because of social distancing. Get yourself a podcast stick. You know, it's like a stick, it's two meters long. And what happens is when you listen to a great podcast, you tap somebody in front of you with your stick and you say, Hey guys, I've got a great podcast for you. Um you're right that doesn't exist but it needs to exist it's a great idea write it down Athena that's a great idea um look I've been Athena venue. you have been fantastic thank you for listening and we'll catch up next time